Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. Well, there's a new exhibit celebrating the rich history of basketball here in the Big Apple. It's called City Game, Basketball in New York, and it's being held at the Museum of the City of New York. Lily Tuttle is the curator at the museum and will take us through that exhibit and many others like it. So whether you're about to hit the road for an early run preparing for a sunrise service or just relaxing on a Sunday, thanks for joining us. And make sure you have a pencil or pen and paper to jot down a few notes or phone numbers. Lily Tuttle has just risen through the ranks over at the Museum of the City of New York. She started as an assistant curator. She's now a curator at the museum. And we welcome her to New York Sports and Beyond. Hi, Lily. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for giving me a couple of minutes this morning. No problem. So, Lily, I'm going to play dumb. What's a curator? Wow. So uh, a curator can have two different roles. Some curators take care of the collection of a museum. They, uh, you know, for the Museum of the City of New York, they take care of things like photographs. We have a costume collection, paintings. Um, But I'm the kind of curator where I tell stories about the city. We put together exhibitions that highlight different aspects of the city's history or things about the city today. And so um, I'm really a historian and a, a storyteller is my job. Lily, that sounds like a lot of fun. What made you decide that you wanted to do this? This was your path. Oh, wow. So um, I went to graduate school for history. I went to NYU. I'm also a native New Yorker. I was born and raised in New York City. And I've always just been really interested in kind of how the past of New York City is embedded and part of the present of New York City, Um, what makes the city tick, the people and places that make this the most exciting city in the world. Um, And when I learned about history, I felt like I wanted to really do my part and do my work to share history with the public, um, with kids, with adults, senior citizens, people of all ages, um, people from around the world, really. So that's what I've been doing for many years here at the Museum of the City of New York. So, Lily, what's the challenge in providing, as a curator, as part of your role, and storyteller, what's the challenge in providing a visual aid to this, like photos and of videos and, and things to substantiate the view that you want people to have to look at New York and how it's changed over the years? That's a great question. I think one of the things that we struggle with is space. Um, mm. We have a beautiful building here on 104th and 5th, but um, we have a limited amount of space in which to tell our stories. So we have to be careful in the photographs and the artifacts that we select that they're not only really interesting to look at, but that they tell really rich, captivating stories about the history of New York City. So um, as much as you want to might want to get every last picture and artifact and video clip in, um, you have to make choices. And sometimes those choices can be a little bit painful because um, you have to make cuts or, you know, eliminate things. Um, and that can be really hard because um, there are so many wonderful images and artifacts that tell really great stories about the city. And it's so interesting because of the difference and the diversity of the people here, the diversity of the cultures. There's so many different things that you find out. And what's so interesting, Lily, is that that's how we break down the barriers of not knowing who we are by having an interaction with other people. And we find out that we have more in common than we think we do. Absolutely. I mean, I would say it's a really an essential part of the museum's mission 
is to celebrate the diversity of New York City, the creativity of New York City, um, and really help um, our visitors understand the relationship between the past and the present and even the future of New York. And um, I think that we, um, we're always sort of uncovering more about those connections and the way in which the different communities of New York City um, mix and mingle and overlap and have influenced each other. And just because it's ESPN, one of those ways is through sports, which brings us to the many stories of basketball in New York. It's the city game, basketball in New York, which is uh, uh, an exhibition that you've got that started uh, started last week. And so I want to get your thoughts on uh, just give me an overview of it. Absolutely. It actually opens to the public tomorrow, Valentine's Day, February 14th. Um, and it, it does a lot of what you were just describing. We highlight the fact that New York City um, is an incredibly dense and diverse city and that basketball is really an inherent part of that density and diversity, that the diversity of the game really reflects the diversity of the city. Uh, New York City has over 1,800 public outdoor basketball courts across the five boroughs. And so basketball is really an essential part of the fabric and the landscape of the city. Um, There's a long history of the game in New York City, which begins um, both in the immigrant neighborhoods of the Lower East Side among um, Jewish and European immigrant communities and also um, among the African-American neighborhoods of Harlem and Brooklyn. But we really tell a multifaceted story that covers um, playground basketball, professional basketball, and some of the really cool, fun cultural innovations uh, connected to basketball uh, in the fields of music, fashion, media and marketing, and art. Lily, what's so fascinating is, uh, having been a New Yorker myself and having played a little bit of basketball, wasn't really any good, but I played a little bit of basketball, Lily. And what's funny is, while you had a crew that you went with, because, you know, sometimes everybody knew your game, everybody knew each other's game, so you went from place to place. But the style of play changed depending on where you were. So there were some places where, you know, you might play in Brooklyn and you play in Harlem. And Brooklyn, they may they may play a bit more physical than they did in Harlem, and you go somewhere else, and it's a different style of game. So talk about how that kind of shared through the sports, the sports cultures across the race and the ethnicity and class and language. Absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned, New York City has over 1,800 public outdoor basketball courts, um, which to me is an amazing statistic. But it's a place where people come together. They, they mix, they mingle. The basketball, um, as I learned through the course of this project, is almost like a universal language that people can mm. come together who might on paper have differences, but basketball is this incredibly uniting force and um, connection. Um, And then I also think that there's something really cool about basketball in New York City. Think about spaces like the cage at West 4th Street. Mm -hmm. It's a much smaller space than a regulation court. It's out on the street. New York has a really rich, dense street culture. So when you step out on the court, there's a way in which you're kind of stepping out on stage that there's a, a performative quality to it. And I think that that's really influenced the game over generations, um, that you're, you're playing a, a really intense game, but you're also kind of, you know, showing your stuff to the passers-by. I think we've all experienced that, where you're walking by a basketball court, and whether it's an organized tournament or a pickup game, um, there's some really exciting stuff going on on the court. Or you can be embarrassed because your shot got blocked. 
And uh, you that's um, true. And, and we <laughs> also talk a little bit in the exhibition about the tradition of trash talk and how there is sort of a, a an interaction and engagement between um, the spectators and the players. It is because the the sound of ooh as the passersby stop is like what is that going on? And then as you mentioned, next thing you know, you're you're on the other side of the fence, <laughs> or you're yeah. or you're walking into the stands at Rucker up uptown at 155th in Harlem, and you're just like, wow, look at these athletes, and why aren't they pros? And in some case, uh, Lily, which I know is part of the the many stories of of the uh, basketball in New York exhibit that you have, it's how come these guys, although they're more talented aren't in the pros. And there's, there's always a discussion as you end up watching basketball in the Big Apple. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. There are a number of players who have crossed over from um, playing playground basketball to the pros. We talk about Rafer Alston. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about Connie Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there there is a tradition of that. Um, I also have to say I encountered some players going to tournaments this summer who maybe play professional basketball um, overseas. Mm-hmm. I think that basketball is something that has really developed a global reach. Um, it's really popular in Asia. It's becoming really popular in Europe. Um, so, But definitely there there is some fierce competition and fierce uh, contenders who play out there in, in parks like Rucker Park. Um, and we do also showcase when some of the really legendary uh, professional players have stepped on to the New York City court, um, such as when Kobe came to Rucker in 2002 and Kevin Durant in 2011. You know, it's fascinating, and we're talking to Lily Tuttle. She's curator for the Museum of the City of New York. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Lily, it's also so fascinating because I noticed here that you've got um, Walt Clyde Frazier is involved, and, and you've got some memorabilia or, or information up there from him. And I remember him writing in his book, uh, you know, Cool, which is the – I can't think of the full title of it, but, you know, Cool. Uh, and, and I remember him talking about going up to Rucker Tournament and facing a guy like Herman the Helicopter. <laughs> and, you know, just that, just that competition, just that thing of the NBA player facing, you know, the playground legend or the playground guys up at Rucker Tournament. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Walt Frazier is, is just an incredible New York icon. He wrote the foreword to our book. Um, we do have a companion book for City Game edited by uh, Bill Roden. Mm. Um, Walt did the foreword to it. Uh, it's got some great first-person interviews. But, yeah, um, Walt Frazier wrote a book in 1974 called Rock and Steady, A Guide mm-hmm. to Basketball and Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really great artifact of the 1970s, and he was really a pathbreaker when it comes to merging um, fashion and basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, of playing at Rocker, I think that's absolutely true. Um, we did an event here the other night with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, wow. and he said something about, you know, you can be – an incredible player in the NBA, and you can have won won NBA titles and rings, um, but really playing in New York City, playing in the the outdoor basketball courts of New York is a true rite of passage, and it's sort of like if you haven't played here, you haven't played. Um, And so we like to think that that's that's really true, and I think that when you see the reaction of the crowd um, when when Kobe and, and, and Kevin Durant showed up at Rucker and you see their reaction to the crowd, you know, Kobe said that, um, playing at Rucker just felt like a huge milestone and it was the energy of the crowd that really inspired and invigorated his game. And so I just think that's such an incredible testament and, and just such a great um, memory to relive. 
You know what, Lily? It almost, for the NBA player, it kind of legitimizes that they are a professional, that they really can play ball. We can play ball here, but we also can play this style of basketball as well. It shows the diversity of our game, that we can follow the plays and do all the other stuff, but if I've got to go one-on-one with you, I've got to give you my best move to put on the show for the entertain the fans and to show you that I am who I am. I mean, that's that's what West Four. That's what Rucker. That's what it's all about. A hundred percent. I think it's so cool to watch these meetups and really hear about some of the historic meetups that also happened. Um, I think when Connie Hawkins tells the story about when he went head to head with Will Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. I mean, where else but in New York City in front of you know a, 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 an adoring crowd could that have happened? Um, so yeah, I love to think of that as something that both for the the high school or amateur player and then the um, the pro, it's this great interchange and great exchange um, really out on the court, which you know sort of the essence of the exhibition is that the basketball court is a truly truly democratic space. Um, you know, it's a place that's really open and accessible. It's it's basically just you know, do you have the skills and the game to to really step out there and play. Lily, let's talk about the ladies that's part of this exhibit. You've got uh, Nancy Lieberman, who I remember playing in the backcourt with Michael Ray Richardson. Uh, also, you've got uh, Queensborn Liberty star Tina Charles, who's a good friend of uh, – who who was tutored and coached by a good friend of mine, Cecil King. So uh, you talk about the ladies who are involved in this uh, basketball exhibit as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nancy Lieberman is just an incredible pathbreaker. We have um, a pair of her shoes on display, but we also have some great quotes from her as well about what it meant for her to play at Rucker and how, you know, she was a girl from Queens. She was, you know, grew up with a single mom. She's Jewish, um, and she went out to Rucker Park, and she said, you know, I felt like I was part of the team, part of the group. I, I, you know, I didn't feel like an outsider because I could play, and that was what really mattered to me and that it was just a life-changing thing for her. Um, she also describes how um, watching the Queens College game at Madison Square Garden in 1975, it was the first women's college basketball play game ever played at Madison Square Garden, how she was 16 years old and she watched from the upper bleachers, that it really it changed her life. Um, and I just think it's important to remember sort of how there were these women who led the way. Um, we focus a little bit on Coach Lucille Cavallos of Queens College, um, mm-hmm. who led that that team uh, at Madison Square Garden in 1975. And, yes, we have a couple of jerseys on view from Christ the King High School. Tina Charles, Supert, and Shamiqua Holdsquaw mm-hmm. all went to Christ the King. And I think uh, it's an incredible story about this one school sending three women to the WNBA in such quick succession. Uh, Lily, do you find, and you mentioned uh, the late Kobe Bryant, do you find, because Kevin Durant's here now, Kyrie Irving, who also from this area, Kyrie Irving from this area, do you find that as you were preparing the research for the exhibit that the younger players also continue to want to have that tradition of going to Rucker, of going to West Forth, understanding of bringing their talents to the community so everyone can enjoy it? Because let's face it, sometimes, you know, the basketball tickets, the prices, you may not be able to get into the Garden or Barclays Center, but you definitely can go to the playground. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. There are some people who who argue that the sort of the, you know, some of the best days of New York City basketball are behind us and some of the schools, you know, they're not turning out as many stars as they used to. But I feel really optimistic about New York City basketball. I think just the prevalence of the courts and the energy and these tournaments and the fact that pickup basketball is such an inherent part of the city, um, I think it's hard to be too pessimistic. Um, and I think that 
Um, it's just it's such a it's such an essential part of the city. It, it will always be an exciting and energizing place to be. Now, before we move on and talk about what else you got going on in, in, in the great museum of the city of New York at 1225th Avenue, uh, we, we always remember that. And we, we look at it now, uh, Lily, that rappers love to be with basketball players and basketball players love to be rappers and they kind of intermingle. And that celebrity is that, 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 you know, spotlight has always been on both. I'm very curious as to how the jazz bands, um, merge into the stories of basketball in New York, the city game? Oh, that's such a great question. So one of the first professional basketball teams to come out of New York was named the New York Renaissance. Um, oh, yes. And they, they played in Harlem during the Harlem Renaissance. And the reason they were called the Renaissance, or the Rens is really what they were known as, um, was because they played at the Renaissance Ballroom. So there would be these events where there was basically jazz and basketball and dances all on a single ticket. So if mm. you can believe it, they would have jazz bands playing, and they would move the tables away, play some basketball, replace the tables, and have a dance. So it was really a, a truly interwoven, intermingled uh, cultural phenomenon. And I think it, it really did lay the groundwork for the connection between jazz, hip-hop, all different kinds of music, um, you know, we, we talk about the N1 mixtape as another um, incident of, of uh, mixing up street basketball and music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should also add that we have a great soundtrack in the gallery uh, curated by Papito by, by Garcia, oh, yeah. a.k.a. Cool Bob Love, um, mm-hmm. who was an incredible collaborator on this project. And he came up with a playlist for us. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the music that you're hearing, which ranges from everything from Duke Ellington to Jay-Z, uh, you can read up on the selection of the songs and how they relate to basketball. It's great. It, it, it sounds like a fabulous exhibit. Video, you have pictures and everything, right? Yeah, we've got a ton of photographs. We've got video. We've got artifacts. We have things from the Knicks, the Nets, the Liberty. We've got stuff about five-star basketball camp, college basketball, some of the college basketball scandals in New York. Um, we have some beautiful art photography, a sneaker collection, a soundtrack, as I mentioned, archival video. We've got Kobe and Katie playing at Rucker Park. And then we have some original videos that we made ourselves last summer of some tournaments um, and games around the city. Wow, that sounds fabulous. And uh, how long how long is the exhibit going to be there? How, how can we get tickets? How, what, give me the hours. Give me all the details. Okay, so the museum is open seven days a week from 10 to 6. We're located at 1225th Avenue, which is 104th and 5th. Um, It's a suggested admission, and we have a number of exhibitions up at the same time. We actually have a permanent exhibition on the first floor called New York at its Core, which is 400 years of New York City history in two galleries. Um, And we also have something called the Future City Lab, which looks a little bit at some of the challenges that are facing New York City in the future. Um, we have a wonderful cafe here catered by Amy's Bread, and um, we have a gift shop where you can buy uh, some basketball merch and our companion book called City Game, which was edited by Bill Roden, features a number of um, original essays about all different aspects of basketball, past and present, and some first-person interviews with um, people like Kenny Smith and Shaniqua Holtzkla and Kenny Atkinson and Tom Kinshalski. Um, and just a wide array of beautiful photographs that highlight all different aspects of New York City basketball history and culture. 
Lily, how did you come up with the idea for this and how long did it take to put this together? It sounds daunting. <laughs> um, it was a little daunting. I will say that because it is such a rich and diverse topic. And as I mentioned at the outset, we had one gallery. Um, we were unfortunately not curating a museum of basketball, but an exhibition on basketball. So mm-hmm. we had to narrow things down and make some choices. Um, this Exhibition concept came to us a couple years ago um, from sort of an outside uh, friend of the museum who said, you know, you guys, you tell stories about the city. You tell stories that that celebrate the diversity and creativity um, in physical spaces of the city, and there's really no better angle on that than to look at the story of basketball. Um, And we got really, really excited about it. And um, about a year and a half ago, I dove in on this topic, and it it was an amazing challenge for me because, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about basketball, but I'm a native New Yorker, and I've been at the museum for over seven years now, and so I feel like I was well-equipped to make choices, to make discoveries, and to really fill out this narrative in a way that would be compelling for our visitors um, and true to our mission at the Museum of the City of New York, and I think we succeeded beautifully. Um, I should also add that we have uh, the exhibition was designed by a firm called We Should Do It All, mm-hmm. and it's a really it's a really cool design that really fills the space, but it kind of feels like you're stepping out onto a basketball court, and you're having Ooh. to come here in person to see what I'm talking about. Yeah, it sounds like it. It definitely does. What are the hours, and how can we get tickets? Okay, so the hours are ten to six. We're open seven days a week, um, and you can buy tickets in the shop. I think we may be doing time tickets, but if you want information, our website is www.mcny.org. So it's mcny.org. It has all the information about visiting the museum, where we're located, how to get here, and what to do when you get here. Sounds great. Lily Tuttle is my guest. She's curator for the Museum of the City of New York. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. We're going to give that uh, information again, Lily, before before we end the broadcast today because I tell you from personal experience, every time you get to write something down, the pen just will not write. It, it just stops right in the middle. So we'll give people a chance to get that information once again. I'm intrigued by a couple of the uh, exhibits that you have. One you mentioned New York at its core, but I want to come back to that. I want to talk about Urban Indian and um, the 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 meaning of being, as you have listed on your website, a Native person living in New York through artwork, performing arts, and community memorabilia. And I don't know, Lily, if we overall think that there are a lot of Native Americans living in the Big Apple. Yeah, that's one of the really interesting, surprising facets of that exhibition is that New York actually has a really large, vibrant Native American community. Um, and so that exhibition is uh, a really rich dive into some of the cultural production and just ways in which that community um, is present in the city today. How g- general numbers, is there a, a- are they migrated in a specific area of, of New York City? Are they because they really have intertwined? They, they've inter you know interwoven themselves into uh, the fabric of the city, and so you don't see that they stand out. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I think if you if you come see the exhibition, you'll see ways in which the community is is really present, mm-hmm. and there's been some really amazing artistic production um, that's uh, part of the Native American community in New York City. That's fascinating. So that's part of uh, another exhibit that you can see at the Museum of the City of New York. And New York at its core, you listen, when you mentioned that, Lily, you got me thinking, the future. What is the future for New York City? What do you see? What do you think? So 
Our, just to tell you a little bit about New York at its core, it's organized around um, four keywords. We mm-hmm. basically seek to answer the question, what makes New York, New York? And the answer to that question is money, diversity, density, and creativity. And those are really four words that undergird a lot of what we do here at the Museum of the City of New York, looking at those key features of New York City, particularly the density and diversity of the city. So in the Future City Lab, we don't really try to predict the future. I think that's probably a dangerous thing to do. But we do try to explain what are the challenges that face New York City, challenges like living with nature, getting around, making a living, um, and all of the different sort of infrastructural and social challenges that the city faces um, in the future. And so we are thinking a little bit about living in a green city, living in an affordable city, and living in a city that is the demographics are changing all the time. As people move here, they move out of the city, um, and immigration really uh, is a a shaping force on the city. So it's a fun space. There's a lot of digital technology, um, a lot of stuff having to do with maps and information about the city. Um, It's a great space for kids. There's some fun games in there, um, and it's just a really wide, open, cool um, space, and it's, it's the only exhibition in New York City that looks um, at the future of the city. It's fascinating. And how long did, did it take for you guys to put this exhibit together? Oh, my gosh. Well, the idea for a permanent exhibition on the history of New York had been really part of um, the game plan for the museum since we opened um, and we were founded in 1923. But um, we began working on New York at its core. I want to say it was about a two, two-and-a-half-year process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it opened in the fall of 2016, and we, we really truly are the only place in New York City where you can go to get the story of the city from first European contra- contact up until um, the story of Hurricane Sandy in 2012, the Bloomberg administration, and we cover really the highs and the lows and the, the social, physical, and cultural development of the city over 400 years. Well, let's talk a little bit about the museum as a whole. How long have you guys been around? When did you get started? The museum was founded in 1923. Wow. Our first home was actually Gracie Mansion, which, mm-hmm. as your listeners may know, is the home, the, the residence of New York's mayor uh, over on the East River in Carl Schertz Park. Um, but that was really not a great home for a museum. It was kind of small um, and, not, and hard to get to. So um, uh, this building that we're in right now was opened in 1932. It was designed by an architect named Joseph Friedlander. And it's a really beautiful open space right on Central Park. We have a, a beautiful terrace that looks out on the park in the summertime. We do events and screenings and parties out on the terrace. Actually, we have a, a summer hip-hop party that we have with DJs um, and, and all sorts of events called Uptown Bounce. It's um, definitely going to be tied in with basketball this year. Um, and when people come here, they say, this is such an incredible building. What, what was this before it was the Museum of the City of New York? Was it a club? Was it somebody's home? And what we always say is that, it, it, no, it was actually built to be the home of the Museum of the City of New York. Um, the museum went, underwent a multi-year renovation and modernization program. So uh, when I came to work here in 2012, we were under construction, uh, and the opening of New York at its core in 2016 was really the thing that capped off that that renovation process. You know, Lily, it, it's amazing during the the time that we we've, we've spoken. It just seems as though that you and the museum are like a marriage that was perfectly made. That both of you 
bring out the best in each other. You love the storytelling aspect and here's a venue that allows you to do that storytelling aspect and with the visual aids and stuff that you need to make it all very entertaining because sometimes information, it's got to be presented in the right way, Lily. I mean, thank you. That's a, that's a huge compliment. Um, I mean, I'm incredibly proud of this institution. I think that we really do try to reflect um, and and connect with the city and our audience. Um, and I think that what's nice about this museum is that um, we have three floors of exhibitions. We're kind of a, a small, big museum or a big, small museum. It's a great way to spend an afternoon, bring your family. We have a wonderful film on the lower level of the museum uh, called Timescapes. It's about 30 minutes long. It runs through the entire history of New York City through images and mapping and narration. Um, and it's just, it's, it's absolutely breathtaking. I can say that because I had nothing to do with creating it. It was here before I started. Uh-huh. But I think that it is, I think it's one of the best introductions to New York City history you could possibly ask for. I tell you, you know, it's funny. You mentioned earlier when we were were talking about the basketball exhibition that people are kind of down on basketball in New York. And you know, listen, you you've got uh, you've got some uh, part of the exhibit, some memorabilia from the from the seventies Nick team, and it's been Lily. It's been a while, so I think that's one of the reasons why people tend to be kind of down. So they're really hoping that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Brooklyn can kind of you know put New York basketball once again back on the map because it's so funny when the opposition players of the NBA come into Madison Square Garden, they love it here. They just have a good old time. Uh, they understand what basketball means in New York and the stage that it has. It just seems like we haven't been able to get our home team, the Knicks specifically, to get back into the swing of things and to be competitive. Absolutely. I mean, we definitely highlight in the exhibition the fact that Madison Square Garden has just legendary, iconic status. You know, from the old garden uh, in the 1940s and 50s where there were incredible uh, college double and triple headers. It was really kind of the national center of college basketball um, to the garden that we know today. Um, And, yeah, our exhibition is going to coincide with the 50th anniversary of the next 1970 NBA championship, which... I wasn't there, but it sounds like it was just an extraordinary moment in New York City history. You know, Willis Reed coming out on the court game seven. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Knicks uh, championship banner on display. I bet a lot of Knicks fans have never seen that. Um, and we're just trying to have sort of a optimistic, hopeful attitude towards uh <laughs> you know, the pro game in New York City. Um, We're hoping to get some people together for a conversation about that 50th anniversary milestone in May, um, right around the date of of the Game 7 anniversary, Um, and just, you know, feel kind of joyful and nostalgic about it. Um, You know, I know that that we're due for a comeback, but I feel hopeful, and we certainly can can celebrate New York City basketball and the the legendary players who played in the Garden. No question, because it's about history. And, and a lot of people, you know, young people don't know the history of basketball in, in New York City and how great it's been for such a long period of time. How many people come through the museum a year, do you think, Lily? About 300,000 a year. Wow. Um, you know, we, we, we are open seven days a week. Um, we're at 1225th Avenue. We get a lot of school groups here, I'll tell you. We, um, we get a, more than 50,000 kids and teachers every year. Um, we're hoping to get a lot of school groups in for this exhibition um, and really hoping that kids can um, 
you know, find a way to sort of see themselves in this exhibition and, mm. and feel that there's a relevance to a museum storytelling that they may not have appreciated before. You know, I worry that kids, some kids might think that museums are kind of sleepy places where you get sort of talked at, and we're really hoping that kids can come and feel like this is a place for them and, and stories that they care about. Lily, it's about presentation. You know that. And with the videos and stuff that they have, they, they'll be able to, to uh, see people they know and then the trick is, okay, ooh, Kevin Durant, ooh, all right, well, before there was Kevin Durant, there was you know, the Connie Hawkins. Before there was Connie Hawkins, there was Elgin Baylor. And you go further and further back, and they're able to, you know, understand with using what they know now as a guide to take them through the history of it. And listen, uh, with the memorabilia you have and the people you've spoken with, and you've named some folks that everybody who loves basketball knows, it, it's got to be a win-win situation. I think we assembled an incredible team for this. I mean, I think Bill Roden, Bobito Garcia, I mean, Tom Pinschelski is, he's a living legend. Um, yes, he and is. he's, he's a truly kind and generous person, um, who shared stories and insights with us. So I'd like to think we really, we got a, we got an incredible team together and that, you know, it was really my job just to coalesce everything, um, you know, and, and make some, some choices and, and put everything together, um, work with our designers. We have an incredible design team on this. And um, I hope that, that true basketball fans will come out and feel like we told a really rich, authentic story. Um, we're really excited and proud of this project. You should be. It sounds like you've done some great work with it. Lily Tuttle's my guest. She's curator for the Museum of the City of New York. Lily, for folks who are just tuning in, let's get them up to date. Let's talk about the exhibition overview real quick about basketball, the city game that you've got. Sure. So uh, the city game opens February 14th at the Museum of the City of New York. We're at 1225th Avenue. We're open seven days a week from 10 to 6. And City Game uh, takes sort of a chronological overview of uh, basketball in New York City from the origins of the game and some of the immigrant neighborhoods and the Black Fives era in Harlem and Brooklyn. Um, tells the story of the, the founding of the Knicks, college basketball, um, the Knicks 1970 championship, the founding of the Nets, uh, some of the great players that have come up through New York City, some of the schools and coaches that have been truly influential to the game worldwide. And we really celebrate the fact that basketball is an inherent part of the city's culture, its physical landscape. Um, we have a lot of amazing photography, video, artifacts. We have an original uh, New York City Parks Department backboard and hoop on display wow. that wow. was um, donated to the exhibition by the Parks Department. And we had a, a very cool New York City artist paint that board and hoop for us uh, specifically for the exhibition. So there's there's so much cool stuff to see. We made some original videos that are on, on view. Um, and we have a companion book that was edited by Bill Roden and features uh, essays, interviews, and a ton of photography. Yes, that's our own Bill Roden, who's with The Undefeated for years, who's with uh, The New York Times, so and a great jazz guy. So when you got jazz and basketball together, you got the right guy. Give us the website, and how can we become a member of the museum? So all of that information is on our website at www.mcny, Museum of the City of New York, mcny.org. All of the information about how to get here, what to do when you get here, where we are, what you pay, um, is all on our website. And there's membership information as well. But if you come here and you want to become a member, just tell the person at the front desk who greets you, and they can give you all the information you need to join the museum. 
Lily Tuttle, uh, you've done, you and your staff have done a phenomenal job with this uh, exhibition and also with the other exhibitions that we touched on during our, our chat this morning. Uh, thank you for giving us a couple of minutes, continued success. And I'll call you, I'm going to have to sneak up there and, and check this out a little bit. I'm, I'm very intrigued by what you've told me this morning. Well, I can't wait to welcome you to the museum and welcome all your listeners. The exhibition opens February 14th. Lily, thanks for a couple of minutes. We'll talk soon. Thank you. That wraps up this edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll see you during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday on New York Sports and Beyond. For my legendary producer, Ray Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues with Anita Marks later this morning at 9 on 98.7 ESPN.